0: Hi, and welcome to Yokine Baptist Church. This is a sermon recording taken from one of our regular church services. You can find out more about us as well as more recordings like this one on our website, yoakinebaptist.church, or by connecting with us on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today. We really hope you're encouraged by this message and that it draws you closer to God.
1: some research during the week and I learned that the Japanese eat very little fat and they suffer fewer heart attacks than British or Americans. However, the French eat lots of fat and they still suffer fewer heart attacks than Brits or Americans. I also learned that the Japanese don't drink much wine, red wine, and have fewer heart attacks than Brits and Americans. But the Italians drink excessive amounts of red wine, and they still have fewer heart attacks than Brits and Americans. So, the moral of the story is eat and drink whatever you want. It's English that's going to do it for you. (laughs) You know, Paul is, Peter, sorry, Peter is coming to the end of his life. He's coming to a time when, um, He knows his journey is just about over. It's not because he's had too much wine. It's not because he's ill. It's not because he's got coronavirus or anything else. It's because he is a Christian and he's been speaking out for the name of Christ and he's under sentence of death. And because he's in that position, he wants the church to know some things that are important that are on his heart. This letter, uh, now if you uh, came in this morning, hopefully you got a sheet of paper uh, which contains the, uh, the image from the video that we had before uh, and then on the back of it is a bit of an outline of where we're going with sermon notes. But the, So this letter is really Peter's last testament. This is the final thing he wants the church to know. Uh, And so it's important to him. So let's have a look at what it is that Peter wants us to know. You know, all too often people think that religion or even Christianity is about what God wants from us. You know, he wants us uh, to have good behaviour. He wants us to renounce all the things that we like. You know, some sort of like, you know, morality by gritted teeth. You know, oh, we have to be good, we have to be good, or God's going to punish us. And this is a total caricature. This is not what Christianity is all about. Here in this opening chapter, Peter tells us the truth. The big picture is not what God wants from his people, but it is what God wants for his people. And so we read that God has bestowed upon us, through his divine power, everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. God has given us everything we need. This is our starter kit, if you like, for everything that we can become. Now, there is a lot in this letter about the moral effort that we need to make, about the way we need to live our lives. But Peter makes, wants to make it very clear from the beginning that it all comes from God in the first place. See, Christianity is not an event. Christianity is a journey. Christianity may begin with an event, you know, when you turn around and you say, yes, Lord, I want to serve you. But it continues as a journey as we grow and become more like Christ as we grow as God's children. And Peter wants us to know, now obviously this is very important to Peter because it's the very first thing he says here in his last letter. Peter wants us to know that we have everything we need to live the fullest life possible as God's people. Everything we need has already been given to us by God and that's something that we need to keep in mind and keep as a, as a background concept as we look at the rest of this letter. Peter's going to talk about godly living. He's going to talk about living holy lives that bring honour to Christ. But he wants us to avoid legalism, the belief that we can somehow earn our salvation by living good lives because it's the other way around. The gift of salvation comes first and the holy life flows out of that. So that's Christ's great provision. Second, Christ's great promises. God wants nothing less for us than that we should share in his very nature. Now that's something amazing, isn't it? That God wants to share his nature with us. When we are saved, the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and transforms us. So God's divine nature is already living within us, leading us forward as we grow in Christ. Now, for many of us, it doesn't always feel like that. You know, you don't always kind of feel like, hey, I'm living like Jesus. But it's not about feelings. Peter's not talking about feelings. If he was talking about feelings, he would go, woe is me, I'm about to die, woe is me, I'm stuck in a prison and I haven't done anything wrong. He's not worried about feelings, he's talking about reality. The reality is that the Spirit of God dwells within us. Uh, In Romans chapter 4, Paul writes, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit brought about your adoption and sonship or children, children of God. And by Him we cry, dear Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if it's true that God's Spirit within prompts us towards godliness and away from sinfulness then the result is this, according to Peter. The result is that he has given us through these things his precious and wonderful promises. And the purpose of all this is so that you may run away from corruption of lust that is in the world and may become partakers of the divine nature. In uh, his first letter, which we looked at a a couple of months ago, um, Peter talks about resisting the devil here in this letter he tells us that we should run away from sin remember the context here is that they are a church that is plagued by false teachers a church that's full with people that are trying to lead them away from god they're trying to change people and trying to trying to trying to say to people you don't have to worry about the way you live you can just get whatever you want you're free in christ and so Peter tells us we need to run away from that kind of nonsense. In order to do that, I think a, a great example comes from our reading this morning, the story of Joseph and how Joseph ran away. You know, I don't know if you've um, watched American politics, but the um, the vice president over there, Mike Pence, is a, a good Christian man uh, and he has a set of moral standards that he sticks by. I'm not talking about politics or anything like that, I'm just talking about his, his morals. He, so, for instance, he has a, a position where he doesn't spend time alone with women that are not his wife because he's completely avoiding all temptation. This is exactly what Joseph did. Joseph did the same thing. Joseph refused to be alone with this woman Even though she kept pushing and kept pushing and kept pushing, he refused to be alone with her. Instead, he ran away. And in running away, that didn't make him a coward, that showed his strength. It's been said that a coward will save his life at the cost of his honour. But a brave man will save his honour even at the cost of his life. You know, I'm sure that that sleeping with Potiphar's wife might have been an attractive proposition for, for Joseph. You know, he'd been a slave, he had nothing, and here's this beautiful woman throwing herself at him. And he's a human being, he's just a man after all. He obviously understood that if he hang around that temptation long enough, he might fall into sin and give in. And so he didn't give himself even the opportunity. He ran away from temptation. He wouldn't even give temptation a chance. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. And so Peter asks us to make a choice. He says you can choose the path of temptation or you can choose to walk by the divine nature. Which is it going to be? So what does this divine nature look like? Now, we need to bear in mind that everything we're talking about here comes through the grace of God. Salvation is his gift. The Holy Spirit is his gift. And that's a great place to start. But it's not where we stop. You know, that's the beginning of our journey. Having received God's grace and power in our lives... Now we want to learn to live and grow in that grace. And so Peter gives us an an example, an illustration of what the divine nature looks like. Now there's an interesting word Peter uses here when he he uses this passage. Um, Because he goes on and talks about, I want you to add to this quality that quality, then I want you to add that quality, and then add that quality. And the word that he uses actually comes from the Greek word for chorus. Now the concept is, back in the day, uh, the, you know, the Greek uh, playwrights would put on a wonderful performance and the most expensive part of the performance was the chorus when you got all the choral singers and someone had written original music and so that cost a lot of money. And so what people did, people would sponsor the chorus and so they were called choragies, people who sponsored the chorus. Now because it was such an honour to do that, people would continually bid up, oh, I'll give more, I'll give more. It was like an auction, you know, with people saying, oh, yeah, I, I know they've, they've offered you 100 denarii, I'll give you 120. And so they keep bidding up and bidding up and that's the picture that Peter gives us in this passage, he wants us to keep enthusiastically building on our holiness more and more. It's a process that continually goes upwards. And so he says in verses five to seven, because of this, you should strain every nerve to add to your faith virtue. That's the word corrigai in there. Add to it virtue. To your virtue, add knowledge. To your knowledge, add self control. To your self control, add patience. To your patience, piety. To your piety, affection. And to your affection, love. And so he gives us this wonderful picture of people who are never content with standing still where they are, but people who are always just wanting more and more of God's nature in their lives. Uh, this passage reminds me very much of Paul's passage on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and, and Paul talks about it in a similar way to which Peter does, and, and he's writing in similar circumstances. So he says, you know, the acts of the flesh are obvious. You know, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, and so on. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. He says, if we belong to the Spirit, we have crucified that life of flesh, it's gone. And so we live by the Spirit and we keep walking in step with the Spirit. You see, both Paul and Peter are trying to urge us here not to do what the false teachers have done and misinterpret Paul's teaching about freedom. Yes, it's true, we are not anymore under all the civil laws of Israel. Yes, we are saved by grace. But that doesn't mean we just go on and live in whatever horrible way we like. Peter says, how is that evidence of the Spirit in your life? We can't go on doing whatever we want, no matter who it hurts, no matter what it does to our Christian witness. And so Peter and Paul's argument is that living in the divine nature is what distinguishes us from the false teachers. Or as Jesus put it in the passage we looked at last week, by their fruit you will recognise them. You can wander down in the garden there and even someone who is so inept at gardening as me knows that there is a lemon tree down there because I can see the lemons hanging on it. I know it by its fruit. I probably couldn't tell you what anything else is unless that kind of comes up out of the ground, but that I can see. And Peter and Paul and Jesus all tell us, you can tell who someone is because the fruit's obvious. It's hanging right there. So Peter goes on to say, if you have these things in plentiful supply... So, virtue, knowledge, self control, patience, piety, affection, and love. He says, if you have these things in plentiful supply, you will not be wasting your time. You won't fail to bear fruit in relation to the knowledge of our Lord Jesus the Messiah. Someone who doesn't have these things is so short sighted that they're actually blind, they've forgotten what it means to be cleansed from their earlier sins. So, my dear family, make every effort all the more to confirm that God has called and chosen you. And if you do this, you will never trip up. These virtues are not some form of religious work we do to get saved. And they're also not some sort of punishment God puts us on us. Oh, you can't live a good life. You have to give up everything that you might enjoy. You know, as though God does that to us. These are things that enhance our lives. These are virtues that are wonderful, that are God-honouring, that are fruit of His Spirit. They are reminders to us and a reassurance to us that we are indeed saved. And it's encouraging in times of doubt. It's encouraging when these, self, when these false teachers start turning up and saying, oh no, you should do this and you should do that. And you can look at them and you can look at yourself and you go... Nah, it's pretty obvious to me which one of us is walking by God and you won't be fooled by them. I um, read in the news recently about a woman who climbed over the guardrail at a lookout because she wanted to get a good selfie and she ended up falling to her death right there in front of her children. Guardrails are not a punishment Guardrails are not God or the government or whoever wanting to hurt us. They are there for our benefit. These virtues are like the guardrails that stop us falling off a cliff. Just as Joseph put up his own guardrails around his behaviour to avoid even the possibility that he would get close to falling off that cliff. All right, Here's the cliff here, here's adultery, here's where he could have gone. And Joseph says, no, I'm putting a guardrail up here. That's what I'm doing. And so the guardrail helps us. Peter doesn't ask us to be perfect. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. What he does is he asks us to choose a direction. Right? Just the same as Joseph and his running away. He said, look, this way leads to sin and destruction. And if you want, you can head that way. Or this way leads to righteousness and salvation. And you can walk this way. But you can't walk both ways at the same time. You need to choose a direction. So we're not talking about being perfect. We're talking about choosing to go in God's way. So we've talked about Christ's great provision and Christ's great promises... Peter wraps up this section by telling us about Christ's great welcome. He says this is how you'll have richly laid before you an entrance into the kingdom of God's coming age, the coming the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. It arrived with him. The kingdom of God arrived. The new age has begun, but the new age to come is not here fully yet. We still await the second coming of Jesus when he will reign and there will be his rule over this world. And so we're giving we're given here in this passage both a reassurance and a promise. It's a reassurance that the kingdom has begun and we're in it. And it's a promise that there's much more to come and you're going to get it. Jesus has laid out a red carpet for us and we are already walking that red carpet to the entrance. You know, it's a wonderful reassurance Peter gives us that the moment we start walking in this direction, we're heading to a sure and certain destination and we need to have no doubt about it. Our participation in the divine nature is simply our proof. It's our reassurance that we truly are walking that way. And the promise is that when we do get there, that door will be thrown wide open for us. You know, Margaret and I are um, going to the cricket this afternoon. The tickets are on my phone. I already have them. You know, when I get to the the stadium and I stand in the queue, my entrance is secure. It is assured. I need have no doubt. If I have any doubts, all I have to do is look down at my phone and my phone says, yep, guaranteed entry for two of you. And so our godly lives are not the way that we earn our entrance ticket. They're the proof that we already have it. They are the reassurance and the encouragement that we are indeed walking in the right direction. And we need have no doubt that we, when we get there before God, he will open those doors wide and we will be entered in. And so this passage, indeed the whole book of Second Peter, which we're going to continue in the next few weeks, it's a very encouraging passage, but it also sets the scene for the rest of the letter. Peter is going to warn the church about the coming of some false teachers. They've taken Peter's and Paul's message of freedom in Christ to ridiculous levels. They teach that, well, since we're saved by grace, we can do whatever we want. We can throw away the guardrails and just jump on into sin. Do whatever we want that's going to please me and make me feel good. And people, Peter points out, these people don't really live by God's spirit. They're not even saved. They're false teachers. Because they're not seeking God's glory. They're just seeking their own. They want to satisfy their base desires. On the other hand, we need to run away from that kind of temptation. You know, we can only go one direction at a time. You know, if you stand here like this, Between this direction and that direction, you're not actually going anywhere, are you? You're just stuck. Peter says, that's boring, that's dull, that's that's not fulfilling, that's not satisfying, that's not joyful. He says, God wants you to walk in this direction and it's awesome. It's great, it's filled with grace, it's filled with love, it's filled with joy, it's filled with self-control, it's filled with all sorts of things that make your life better. And so these, these false teachers, they're heading in the wrong direction. You're not even on the same path as them. You're heading this way. And so Peter draws that real distinct contrast between us and them. Because we have been filled by the Spirit of God, we share in the divine nature. It doesn't mean we are perfect. None of us is claiming that. But it does mean that we have started the journey by walking in the right direction. Because of God's grace, he's put us on that path. And he's rolled out the red carpet for us. We are already on it. The way we live is a wonderful reassurance to us that we're on that path. And if we're on that path, our destination, 100% guaranteed. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for the promises of Peter. Lord, this man who was languishing in prison, waiting to to die for this message. And we see here in this letter, Lord, that he was determined that before he went, he would make sure that the church heard this message. It's a message of grace and of holiness. It's a message, Lord, that says to us, we don't have to earn our salvation. But having received it as a gift, we gratefully walk in it with you. Lord, we want to live lives that are full, that are rich, that are abundant in your presence. We want to experience the grace and the joy, the the faith, the peace, all the fruits of the Spirit, Lord. We want to experience and enjoy that. And so we thank you for the guardrails that you've set up for us, the guardrails that stop us going in the wrong direction. Lord, help us not to see those as punishments or restrictions, but, Lord, as a way to enter into true freedom, the freedom that comes only from following you. So, Lord, forgive us. We know we're not perfect. We know we'll get it wrong. But help us to stay on that journey. Help us to be encouraged and to know that our future is secure in you. And help us to be willing to share that journey with others, Lord. Help us to show people outside the church, people who we care about, that don't have to earn their salvation and you're not some kind of ogre who wants to make their life miserable you want to set them free help us to tell them and help us to demonstrate that lord in jesus name we pray amen
0: thanks for joining us today and extra thanks to those that have donated to us online It's your generosity that enables us to continue our ministry to the local community and beyond. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. If you would also like to support us, visit ybc.church give. You can also access our website to find out more about our community by visiting yokinebaptist.church or by connecting with us on Facebook. If you've enjoyed listening to this message, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening and God bless.